We're going to continue in the book of James this morning in James chapter four. So please turn with me. Uh, if you have your Bibles today, uh, please uh, flip over with me to James chapter four. Just to preface, uh, we recall what James is all about, right? At this point, if you've heard a few messages that I've spoken about the book of James, you know a few things. Namely, James draws from his Jewish upbringing uh, out of the wisdom literature, out of, um, and then out of the teachings of Jesus. Those two sources are very near and dear to our brother as he speaks to those Jewish believers who are scattered abroad primarily and to us secondarily. So you also know about some of the major themes of James. James is concerned with the church walking with the Lord and having an authentic religion, having beliefs that play out in daily life, having us walk according to the word, being hearers and doers, he instructs us, so that we intake the word, either reading or listening, and we actually do what it says. Simple and profound is his MO, and he will continue in the verses that we read together today. So let's go to chapter four, and um, I'll start us off here with 11 through 12, as we've all read the complete passage together. So um, when we go to verse 11, do not speak. Against one another, brothers and sisters, the one who speaks against a brother or a sister or judges his brother or sister speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you judging your neighbor? So we have Facebook screens full of people talking about judging and typically pulling out verses and trying to, frankly, uh, justify their own behavior by saying that it's not ours to judge. In fact, that, that is true. Um that in some ways we are not to judge. What are those ways? We'll dig into that today. So first of all, James starts out and addresses relationships and calls attention to how the church interacts with itself. So what does he call the readers of his epistle? What does he call them? He calls them brothers and sisters. And then later on, he calls them neighbors. So addressing, addressing the church congregation as our brothers and sisters, we often do that as well, right? 
We should. Because we are brothers and sisters in what way? We have the same daddy. We have the same adopted family that we're a part of. And that familial relationship, James, first of all, sets the stage for how he wants us to see each other in the body of Christ as brothers and sisters. So being a part of that new covenant that we are a part of in Jesus' blood. And uh, we are to have a right relationship with each other. So the New, the new Testament uh, has several cases in the Synoptic Gospels of how the Lord addresses what are the most important commandments, right? When, when we look at what Jesus says later, it really comes down to two things, right? Loving God, firstly, and loving others. Loving God and loving others. So what does the law say about our relationships with others? If we think about even taking a very small portion of the law, which is the Ten Commandments, we find commandments that start with the worship of God and seeing God rightly and loving him rightly. And then we move into those that are our relationships with that, with each other. We shouldn't covet. We shouldn't commit murder. Um, we shouldn't commit adultery. All of those things are related in the right relationships with our brothers and sisters and neighbors. The Lord says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard that a thousand times, but what if we meditated on that a moment? If we love our neighbors as much as ourselves, that, that's tremendous. That's such a, a difficult thing to do. Um, we are, by nature, selfish we are, we're out for our own good all of the time. Um, so, so much of my life is in the middle of sort of corporate politics, either at my clients or internally to my company. And I can tell you the selfishness and pride that's present and you, you throw on it the accelerant of talking about a lot of money, man, that just, it's like this big flame of pride that, that I'm, I'm walking in um, during my working hours a lot of days. And it all comes from this disregard from other people, for other people and for what they care about and um, how we should show our love towards them. That's in the world. Sometimes if you've been in, you've been in some bad church situations, you may have experienced this in a body of Christ. What a shame. How terrible, but that's exactly what James is addressing. Sometimes there are these power struggles. Sometimes there are these things where we don't regard each other as brothers and sisters 
So let's look at a cross-reference here in Mark chapter 12. If you'd like to turn with me, please do. Um, you know, I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Um, you know, it's good for us to show up with our Bibles in hand when we get ready to study with each other, when we get ready to listen to sermons. Um, I do endeavor to be faithful to the word. I know that that Danny uh, and Richard and others that have preached for us do as well. But keep this in front of you. Listening to people. Keep keep us in check. Keep yourselves in check um, in, in listening. Mark 12, if you go with me to chapter, verse 28, rather, we see this instance of them coming up and sort of goading, um, trying to stir up something here. One of the scribes came up and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Trying to sort of capture Christ and making him say something that they could jump on him for. <coughs> Jesus answered, the foremost is this. Hear, Israel, the Lord is, is our God. The Lord is one. The Shema that we have talked about before, right? That's still prevalent um, in Jewish services of saying the Shema, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So the foremost commandment is the right relationship with God and recognizing who he is. The second is this, Christ says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And then the scribe said to him, well, well said, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one and that there is no other beside him and to love him with all of the heart and all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then no one dared any longer to question him. So if you recall the times in the Gospels where the Lord confronts the different Pharisees and scribes and the crowd uh, that's gathered around synagogues and, and different places, Often they're trying to catch him in something. You know, they're they're trying to say, aha, you healed somebody on the Sabbath, remember? They're trying to bring some sort of accusation against Christ. And here he just nails it down and summarizes the entirety of the law into two commandments. So the wisdom of God and of our Lord directs us in the ways that we ought to go. Today's order of the message is flipped from these two commandments. We start with others and then we go to God, but the same things are here. So James 
again, relying on the teachings of Christ for his source material. And here we see the right relationship with others. So what is this meaning of so uh, judging the law, you know, that James says this, this seems a little funny to us or weird. Um, the one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks against the law and judges the law. Why would James equate speaking against a brother or sister as speaking against the law? That sounds that I wouldn't necessarily automatically put those two things together. But if the law says to love others and we speak evil about them and judge them according to our standards versus God's, then we're essentially saying the law is wrong, that the Lord's law isn't good. We judge the law. God forbid. Judging the law, the law of God that he's put out and commanded us to follow. Wow. So additionally, if we are judges, we are not doers. We've heard Several times now, James repeat that theme of being both hearers of the word and doers of it. So if you're spending your time judging instead of doing, have you ever been guilty of that? Guilty as charged. Um, Sometimes your spirit of criticism can be so much for other people that you've forgotten to be introspective about your own life and your own walk with the Lord. And that can happen to any of us. Please don't, don't get caught up in that. There's a lot of things that can happen in relationships with other people and even in the body of Christ. Let's not develop the spirit of criticism that would tear down our brothers and sisters so much that we even forget to focus on what God has commanded us to do and to walk. Another place that we frequently see, and, and I wanted to, to bring up for this topic today, is in Matthew 7, 1 through 5. You will go with me there. Maybe it would be good for us to have Bible drills and and have our kids give them a passage and see who's the fastest to, to look it up. Seven, one through five. <clears throat> Here Jesus is speaking. And he says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and look, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, The Lord gives to us 
a very important perspective on judgment in that what standards and whose standards are we to judge by? Certainly not our own. Look at what the Lord says in verse two, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Do we ever get, do we ever get twisted on discretional items that we judge our brothers and sisters by and hold those standards that we have instead of the Lord's standards? And are we hypocritical? Do we do the very things that we judge others for? We, we must judge by the word of God. Amen. That is the standard. The word of God is the standard. And we have to use discernment. Otherwise, what would, what would church discipline be like if we never judged at all? Right? If we just let things go completely off the rails and said nothing about it. So how are we to judge and how are we not to judge? We're certainly not to judge by our own standards. And we're certainly not to judge in hypocrisy either. Rather, we're given the means of confrontation biblically. When we look in Matthew, we look in in chapters, I believe it's 18. The means of confrontation is establishing, first of all, a one-on-one discussion with someone. If they don't repent, then take two or three people with you to speak to said individual. And if that does not cause repentance, then the church it should be brought before the church. In what time of that was criticize somebody and judge them, but say nothing to them, right? <laughs> Keep it under wraps because we'd hate to see them repent and then we wouldn't have our, our favorite target to criticize, right? So judgment is for reconciliation. The Lord's, the Lord's ways are reconciliation and repentance, not let's tear, tear people down, right? Um, it's all about edifying others and as a body being edified so that we reflect who Christ is to the world. It's not, it's not to elevate ourselves. Um, it's not to tear someone else down. It is for those purposes of edification for repentance and for purity in the body of Christ. Um, The only rightful judging is done by God and by his word. Uh, So when we look at verse 12 and he says there is only one lawgiver and one judge. The one is able to save and destroy. We will all be judged ultimately by the Lord. We will all sit in his court. And our deeds will be held into account. We like to put ourselves in the place of 
the rightful judge. We like to condemn, <laughs> condemn all kinds of things, not because we're calling it out rightly, especially in the church. We should call out sin. We should uh, recognize when things are going against the word of God. But what purpose? For what purpose? Are we trying to edify? Or are we trying to tear down? Are we trying to elevate ourselves? Or are we trying to elevate God? Romans 14, 10 through 12. This is in the context of those matters of conscience that, uh, that Paul talks about in Romans 14. So if you want to turn there, um, Paul says, but as for you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or you as well, why do you regard your brother or sister with contempt? For we will all appear before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, to me, every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Verse 12 does not say, so each one of us will give a laundry list of all the things that other people did wrong in front of God. (laughs) Right? Verse 12 says, then each one of us will give an account of himself or herself to God. So um, we're responsible for ourselves and our focus should be on our purity as it pertains to the law. And when we do confront other people and when we do call out sin in other people uh, in the church, we should follow biblical instruction of confrontation and healing and reconciliation. That's the best, best case scenario, right? is that someone repents and someone is made whole by God after confrontation and reconciliation. All right. So after James talks about how we are to be with each other, James also talks about our right view of God our right view of our plans for our own life um, and having religious integrity inside of what we do know is right and doing that. So if we go to verse 13 through 17, James continues, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. 
All such boasting is evil. So for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him it is sin. This morning we were talking about plans and what people think is going to happen and and what ends up happening. And sometimes we get we get uh, really ticked about our plans not coming into fruition. You've heard people say, um, if you want the Lord to laugh, then tell him your plans, right? I feel like I bought into that as, as a young man for sure. I thought I had this whole plan, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to get married eventually, hopefully. Um, I'm going to have 2.5 children. Um, you know, all of these things you kind of line out for your own life and you say, this is how it's going to be. So now God, can you just bless this? Right. Backwards. Backwards. Um, college did not go quite as I planned. But I, I finished it with the Lord's help. I finished it with the Lord's help. Um, marriage was such a blessing. I did not think that I would be married before the age of 30. I really didn't. I really did not. And then the Lord had other plans. Um, I remember praying one day, Lord, can you just please just show me a girl Show me the girl that you would want me to marry. And immediately I thought about Rita and started laughing. I'm like, that's my friend, God. Now show me somebody else, you know? Because <laughs> at that time, at that time, Rita, Rita and I were just, were just friends. We, we spent time with each other in a big group. Um, we had lots of of single professional people that were doing their first job out of college. It was a great environment for us to be in, but that's the way I got to know my future wife. And I didn't really initially think, think of Rita um, in that way. Um, And the Lord had different plans. Um. Also, in having kids, Rita and I had friends who got married and had kids 10 months later. We'll let you do the math behind that, okay? But seriously, we we had friends who, uh, especially my friend Glenn, he told me one day we were on a boat ride, and he said, the next girl that I date is is who I'm going to marry. We're like. Okay, well, you might not do a good job if that's your mentality right now. But that's actually what happened. They met. They got married three months later. They're still married, by the way. They're an awesome couple. We love them to pieces. Um, but they had they had their first kid almost immediately. So. That's the way that I thought once Rita and I decided to have children, 
that's that's how it was going to play out. That is not the way that it played out. <laughs> that's not the way that it played out. So we were married when we were about to turn 26, 27. And we did not have Michaela until we were 33. God has different plans for us. And they're so much better than we do ourselves. He knows what we need. He knows our level of maturity. He knows where we are in our walk with him. Um, and all of those things, um, if, if you can't tell by my testimony, I have thought before that I could tell God my plans. And that's exactly what this set of verses is about. Um, it's, it's not bad to have a vision. It's not bad to try to, to use discretion and to use wisdom to try and manage things well. However, the error here is who makes those plans and who are we trying to serve? Whose kingdom are we building? So James says, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. All very self-focused. Yet he says, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. There, there are people that have planned for a long retirement. Um, and I, my cousin, my cousin Grant was someone who was helping other people to budget with finances and, and helping them to create plans that manage their money well. And buddy, he had spreadsheets and tie outs and 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 he had it all together and then he got cancer and he died at 48 and so grant uh, i believe that grant was a godly person don't get me wrong but there were so many plans that grant and my cousin chris had together um and it's a vapor it's gone in a second it's gone in a second so who sets this pattern and who do we need to please? In verse 15, it says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So many, so many people will, will almost use that legalistically in a way. Uh, they'll say, Lord willing, right? It's not a bad habit. It's not a bad habit. But we don't need to do that as just a force of habit. We need to, to really soak in the reality of what that means. We truly do abide by what the Lord wills to happen. Um, and what he would have, even in the life of this church, you know, sometimes Danny, uh, Jesse, and I talk about plans that we would like to see or a vision that we would like to happen for the church, but we can't get out in front of our skis without the Lord directing those steps. So we should soak in the fact that if it's the Lord's will, 
we will do what he has for us to do. Otherwise, it will change. And in 16, what is this attitude? It is that of arrogance and boasting is evil. So this ties into what James is trying to tell us about the rich man, right? He, he talks a lot about rich and poor in James. If I, I really think that one of the reasons that scripture says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Um, it's because uh, when you are rich, sometimes you become very self-dependent and self-aggrandizing. If I could go out and buy anything that I wanted to, then have I even paused and asked the Lord if that's the right thing for me to do? If I have the means to do it, and the richer that you are, the more challenge there would be to acknowledging the Lord's will in the decisions that we're trying to make. And that happens really at every level of wealth, right? Even at our levels of, of wealth or income, sometimes we like to just do what we want to do, right? Without asking the Lord what he would like us to do. So let's not boast and be arrogant in the wealth that God himself has given to us uh, because such boasting is evil. And lastly, James, uh, James ends up here with, uh, so for one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, for him, it is sin. Uh, that does sound initially like a silver bullet verse to stand alone, but it's really not. It, it really needs to contextually tie the rest of these verses together because this is the very attitude that causes those other things, right? So if we know what the Lord has directed us to do, and we don't do it, that's sin for us. So all of us that have been exposed to the right scripture, the right reading of it, the, the um, right discernment through reading and Bible study and interpretation and all those things that we endeavor to do, those things have imprinted into our minds what the right thing to do is via the word of God. Now, when do we go against that? Um, and when do we know what the right thing to do is and we don't? So James has warned us about the sin of presumption, that we're going to set the pace and we're going to set the course of our lives. Let's look at a a cross-reference here in Luke chapter 12, if you'll go there, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Jesus, the context of this is Jesus is addressing a, a huge crowd of thousands, 
and he gives them a parable. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began thinking to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store all my grain and my goods there. And I will say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years to come. Relax, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your soul is demanded of you. And as for all that you have prepared, who will own it now? Such is the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich in relation to God. So where is your treasure and what are you building? Um, is it wrong? Again, is it wrong of this rich man to say, hey, I need to store my crops? Well, no. No, there's lots of uh, people in here who probably grew up with grandmas and parents that put stuff away for the winter. Maybe some of us still do that for ourselves. We we can and freeze and cut off and dry and we put that stuff away for the wintertime. That's not a bad thing to do. But what is at the center of the parable of this is that this rich man is storing up all of this for himself. He's he's selfishly um putting his plans in front of God's. And what does the Lord say? This very night, your soul is demanded of you. All that stuff that you're storing up for yourself, all of those things that you're collecting, now who's going to own them? You can't take that with you. You can't take it with you. Again, in 1 Corinthians 4.19 um, Paul actually uses the language of what James is is promoting here. Um, he says, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I shall find out not the words of those who are arrogant, but their power. If anybody had some bragging rights, it would be Paul. Right. But you see his his mentality being demonstrated here, I will come to you. I will come to visit you so long as the Lord wills. And I will find out. Um, So we see through embedded into scripture, we see both those that are sort of at the same time as James, like Paul, and looking back at the teachings of Jesus that James is drawing from, how his words are playing out in in this epistle. So the message is not that we shouldn't make plans or use good discernment or take care of ourselves or take care of our families. We're called to do so in scripture, rather that we are not our own masters. We serve a master. We sit under the authority of God. We sit under his plans. (laughs) Um, And if he has determined different plans for our lives, we will surely be following those.
So let's look again um, as we kind of wind down here. In Paul's continued instructions here to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, Paul says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to set their hope of on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. If you remember Larry Burkett, um, he was just a really great man uh, of God. I really do think so. He tried in helping to uh, helping people to budget with their finances. He created a whole like little system, the envelope system you may have heard about. He, he really talked about that. And one of his main points for his whole ministry was that wealth was about blessing other people and to make provision to do that with your wealth. Um, And that's exactly what Paul's instructions to Timothy are. Look at what the rich are to do. They're to be rich in good works and they're to be generous and ready to share. Their wealth is to bless other people. And instead of storing up things, they're storing up treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So just look at the contrast of how we typically think about wealth and we typically think about our futures and building up our big 401k and our IRA and what other ever initials you want to throw out there. Um, We should take care of ourselves and our families, but sometimes we get the cart far before the horse on this. Um, We should be focusing on how we build up the kingdom of God and how we share with others. So just some introspective questions as we close up today. We've seen two messages, really. One that deals with how we see God and how we see our plans the other, how we see other people and, and how we interact with them. So questions for introspect, introspection. Have you spoken evil or gossiped against anyone, either out in the world or inside the church? Have you judged others by your own standards versus God's? And when I say you, I mean we, okay? This is certainly not just focused in that direction. <laughs> this is this is like this. Uh, have you been arrogant in your ambitions and plans? You decided that you can do it. A politician that shall remain nameless said one of the things that just, I, I mean, it, it made me just lose my breath for a minute once during a campaign. He said, I alone can fix this. 
okay, that's exactly what this bullet is. Have you been arrogant in your own ambitions and plans? Do you know the right that you should do, but you failed to do it? Has God shown you in his word? Yes, I need to be doing X. And you've not followed through with what God has convicted you to do. Let's think about uh, the scripture that we had today. And for you and me, both wanting to be hearers and doers of what James has to say, what the Lord has to say, um, and really think about how we see ourselves in front of God and how we see ourselves in relationships with other people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us this time to examine uh, this chapter in the, the book of James. And Father, we pray that we would both hear and do. Uh, and we thank you so much for what you've given to us this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.